Hey Connect, Merry Christmas. I just want to say I love Christmas. Uh, can't wait to introduce our new series today entitled Songs of a Savior. We're going to unpack some Christmas songs that we all know and we all sing. In fact, today might be one of my all-time favorites. I think it's probably one of yours. But you might not know the story behind the song. The song today, our feature song today, is Oh Holy Night. This song was written in the mid-1800s. In fact, it was kind of uh, compiled by many different players you may not know about. Uh, there was this parish priest in the mid-1800s, and he desired to write this song, but he wasn't much of a poet. And so he contracted a friend in the community in which he lived, Placide Capot. I had to practice that one. And he helped him write this poem. Well, Placide wasn't a Christian. In fact, he was not only not a Christian, he was quite a hellraiser. And Placide was so impressed with his work, and he was a great poet, that he went to one of his other friends to help him take this poetry and put it to music. Well, this guy wasn't a Christian either. Nevertheless, O Holy Night became a smashing success. It hit the Catholic Church and spread throughout it. Masses and masses of people began to sing this song in church on a regular basis. Only a few years after this song was written, people began to hear kind of the news began to leak where the origins of this song came from and they began to realize that some of the guys who actually wrote this song weren't believers and they tried the Catholic Church tried to shut it down they tried to remove it but it was too late it had hit the airwaves it was gone well speaking of airwaves that really wasn't the case but later it was because five decades later in 1906 a engineer named Reginald uh, Fezenden kind of a different name a Canadian professor uh, he engineered the first ever AM radio and he broadcast the Christmas story from his garage on Christmas Eve in 1906. He pulled up a microphone and he began to read from Luke chapter 2. In those days Caesar Augustus he issued a decree that a census should be taken and he ran through this entire story and, and just broadcast it over the airways. It was a beautiful thing. At the end of that reading he took his violin, put it up to the microphone, and he began to play Oh Holy Night. Right now, I want you to hear this classic song, our rendition, Oh Holy Night.
imagine what it must have been like that night on Christmas Eve. I think for us sometimes we don't really comprehend or we can't really imagine fully what it must have been like. For us, I mean, Christmas Eve we go out and we see all the manger scenes on people's front lawns and cows they were lowing, whatever that means. I've heard that in songs before. Never quite understood that. But all these, you know, different fixtures on the front lawn and it conjures up positive feelings, you know, uh, just warm and fuzzy feelings. But the reality is that's not what it was like on Christmas Eve at all. In fact, there was just this young teenage girl pregnant by the Holy Spirit. That's another completely different story. And she's getting ready to bring a baby into this world. 
with an incredible assignment given to her by an angel. And she has this incredible journey she takes with her, you know, teenage husband. Some people say between 80 and 120 miles on a donkey. I mean, I took my wife just a few miles in a Honda Accord and that was stressful enough. But she did this on a donkey. And then they get to a place hoping they, they could stay in an inn and they can't. And eventually they end up in actuality in a cave where animals are sheltered and they deliver this baby into the world. And I'm sure it was anything but a, a holy night. And so what do you think of when you think of that song? I wanna do something as we go forward in this series is I wanna pull something outside of the song so when you sing it, you're able to actually worship and encounter God. I want you to have a moment each week in this series with each song that we look at where you see what's going on behind the story so that you can have your own experience with God. Because I have a question for you. Maybe this Christmas, you don't have those warm, fuzzy feelings. The truth is, problems are happening all year long, but they tend to amp up and ramp up a lot more during the Christmas holidays. I want you to experience a holy night. I want you to experience what was happening in that song. There's a phrase in the song that says, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. I want you to experience what they longed for and anticipated a thrill of hope that in this dark and dreary world where all these problems were all around them there would be a child a messiah who would come a child of promise to bring hope to a world peace to a world to bring joy to a world that that didn't have that at that particular time that's what was happening and that's what came from this song i want you to experience what they experienced that night an answer to a promise jesus birth brings hope, and hope changes everything. These are some of the things that people have said to me even as recently as this week. I hoped for a different life. I don't, I don't ever expect anything's ever going to change. This is not how I thought my life would go. I mean, I'm sure we've all probably had those feelings at some point, but instead of having hope, we learn to cope. But Jesus Christ didn't come into this world. God didn't send his son that holy night so that we could just cope with life. He gave us hope that very night. And we can, have, we can rejoice at that hope because it can get us through anything. Because hope does change everything. Romans 15, 13 says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. And today I want to talk to you about three truths that bring hope in a dark and weary world that will hopefully encourage you that you can have hope in the middle of all circumstances. And most of us, you know, when we were younger, we had an idea of how our lives should go. We had an expectation because, of course, hope expects. Your point number one, hope expects. Um, but things don't always go as planned, do they? <laughs> we can have the best laid plans and it doesn't always go that way. You know, colleagues or friends sometimes betray you. You might lose your job, your company downsizes. You might, you or a loved one might get sick or have an injury that there's no cure or treatment. You may, you may have thought you would be married by now and you're single. You may have been, you may be married and you wished you were single right now. But that's a whole different, whole different message. <laughs> um, you may have, there's a lot of people that they want kids and they, they try for a long time and they have miscarriages or they can't get pregnant. 
You know, those are dashed hopes and expectations. You may have kids and you think, oh my gosh, I never thought they would depart from their training. And they do. Others disappoint you. You might disappoint yourself. Whatever it is, whatever things that you had an expectation for, we get discouraged sometimes and we, and we, we are faced with disappointment because we had an expectation. And, you know, discouragement and disappointment kind of lead into, when, when they stay there for a long time, they lead into depression, which is a sad and terribly lonely place. But I believe, and we believe here, that Jesus Christ can change your life in an instant. However, there is a process sometimes of walking out that change through our whole lives. Philippians 1.6 says that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That means that until Jesus comes back, we need to be walking out that change in us. That means that we have something to do. And if we exclude Jesus Christ from the process of that change, then we will never have the power that we need to be able to walk through or past disappointments and discouragement and depression into an expectant hope because that's what he gives us. And only Jesus is the one that can change your life, and he's the only one that can fill you with hope in the middle of all circumstances. So we all go through tough times, and, and we get discouraged, and, you know, whether it's tough times through um, dashed expectations or, or the hopes or just things that just aren't going a certain way we'd like them to, so I want to talk to you a little, about, a little bit about tough times that will hopefully help you get through them if we can grab on to some of these ideas right here. So John 16, 33 says that Jesus promises that we will have troubles and trials in this life and sorrow. Okay, that's not exactly the bumper sticker you want to slap on the back of your car, you know. Um, but the, some facts about tough times is we, we spend too much time trying to avoid difficult days, but we were promised them. And the first thing here is that tough times happen to everyone. Matthew 5.45 says, The sun rises on the good and the bad, the just and the unjust. It's not a measure of our, your spirituality. It's not a measure of whether your God looks at you and you're good and, okay, you're not going to have any troubles. No, it, rain falls on everybody. And sometimes, that's, you know, we, we get to a place where we're saying, you know, what did I do to deserve this? God, what? Why? Anybody ever said, God, why? <laughs> you don't have to raise your hands. I'll raise my hand for all of us. Um, but, you know, we get to a point where um, if, if we're not looking at those tough times and we're keeping our eyes on him, then we can get through it. And sometimes, we, don't get me wrong, I mean, we do have some, um, we do bring some of the tough times on ourselves because of some bad choices that we make or whatever. Um, but a lot of times, it's just because we live in a fallen world. I mean, you know, stuff happens. Bad, tough times happen. Um, so a second point here is that tough times are not going to last forever. Everybody say amen to that. Okay, so 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving an eternal glory for us that far outweighs them all. Okay, so you may be saying, Stacey, you don't even know what my life has been like. I've been dealt a bad hand my whole life. And that may be true, but let me just tell you. Let me, again, if you can keep this in perspective when you're walking through tough times, it'll help you get past the tough times, walking into that expectant hope. So if, you, if we can look at our lives, like Psalm 23 says, I'm going to pass through that valley, if we can have the mentality that we are only passing through this life and our life here on earth is just a little bitty blip on the radar screen in light of eternity, then we will know that tough times will not last forever because we're, we're, we're leaving this world at some point. 
And I think, I know that, you know, God is going to bring us safely into his kingdom. But when we get there, well, let me ask you this. How many have ever said, gosh, I wish I knew then what I know now? Yeah, okay. Well, that's a good one. Everybody can raise their hand on that one. But, you know, I think when we get to heaven, if we were able to look back on our lives, I think we might be standing next to the Lord and going, oh, gosh, sorry. Shouldn't Shouldn't have freaked out right there. Shouldn't have stressed out so much right here. I really, I know I should have trusted you then because I saw all along how you had my back. Sorry, Lord, forgive me. Thank goodness I'm here, you know. So if we know, if we could have that mentality, because he promises us that he's going to bring us safely into his kingdom when we trust in Jesus Christ. So um, last thing here for tough times is that tough times could be good for us. I, I mean, it stinks, man. I'd, I get it. I've been through some tough times myself, you know, but it can be so good for us. And I have to say, well, let me tell you what the Bible says. First Peter 1, 6 and 7 says, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trial for a little while, but they have come so that your faith can be matured. Okay. Well, sometimes I'd like to just say, I'd like to go to heaven just as immature as I am right now. I don't want to have, I don't want to have any more maturity. I am good right now. Um, but you know what? We learn so much through tough times. It grows our faith. It grows our character. It builds our trust. It tweaks our habits, some wrong habits that we have. And it pushes us to him and his word. I mean, it's, it can be good for us. We can learn so much. And if, you're, if we're honest, the majority of us have learned life's most important lessons in our toughest times. I mean, it's, it's so true. It stinks, but it's true. Um, I didn't tell you I was going to make it smell like all roses today. <laughs> um, but, you know, um, again, it can bring us into maturity. And um, I, I don't believe that God brings us tough times. I'm, I'm definitely a believer that God is the giver of good gifts. Okay. Again, we live in a fallen world, but we also, you know, have an enemy, the devil. I mean, the Bible says he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Okay. Well, that doesn't mean he can devour us, but he may. But God is not the one that's up there going, let me see what lightning bolts I can throw at him and teach him a lesson. Watch him dance, you know. That's not the God that we serve. We serve a good God. But I will say this, he is in the middle of those tough times. He is saying, okay, you know what? I'm not going to immediately rescue them because they can grow through this. And sometimes, I know from my experience, is God's probably saying in the middle of my tough times when I'm like dependent on him at every moment of the day, he's probably going, gosh, I kind of like this communion. Maybe I'll keep her here for a little longer, you know? He's not really saying that because he loves me and he wants me to get out of him. But, um, you know, when we are, uh, like, like I do with my kids, if, so has anybody ever heard this verse in the Bible that says, where two or three girls are gathered, there will be arguments in the midst of them? <laughs> okay, so I have three daughters. That's really not the Bible verse, in case anybody's wondering. But, um, you know, I have three daughters, and they argue over stupid, petty things, because girls are girls, but whatever. Um, So when they are arguing, when they were little, I would come in, of course, being the good mom. I'm going to come in, and I'm going to rescue them and figure out their problems and referee and make sure that they're all, like, happy when they walk away, okay? Well, when they get to a certain age, if I continued to rescue them every single time, if they were teenagers right now and... Were, you know, didn't know how to have conflict resolution skills because I rescued them every single time, they wouldn't even know how to handle conflict. And conflict's going to happen because there are two girls in the midst, okay? So if, that's the way I think the Lord sees it, is that 
He's not going to just rescue us immediately. We need to figure out what he wants us to learn. And that's what we need to do when we're in the middle of it. Actually, I shouldn't say in the middle of it. I, I, when I, as soon as I feel something coming, some kind of attack or some, something goes wrong, my immediate response, and this should be yours too, is, okay, Lord, what do you want me to learn from this? What do you want me to learn? Because all, I'm all about figuring out how to not go through this again. Right? I mean, don't, if I, I don't want to have to go around this mountain again and again and again. And if you continue to deal with some of the same things that you're dealing with, that maybe those same tough times, ask the Lord, okay, Lord, open my eyes to see what it is that you want me to deal with. And, you know, we, um, 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 9 says, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, struck down, but not destroyed. Tough times do not have to destroy us. They just don't. We can, Proverbs 24, 16, this is my father-in-law's favorite verse, a righteous man falls seven times, and I can hear him saying it, but rises again, rises again. Everybody say, I'm going to rise again. And that just, doesn't it just feel good to say that like that? But we need to get back up. You know, we can be knocked down by so many setbacks, so many difficulties in our lives, and, but the, like, the hopes that we had about our, the way our life would go, our family, our, you know, um, our jobs, our kids, we have those hopes, but we get discouraged sometimes. And the opposite of hope is hopelessness, which basically, it's, that's pretty much depression. I mean, those go hand in hand, okay? So I'm going to touch on this for a minute, but because there's so much, um, like Samantha was saying this morning in our, in our pre-service meeting, that there's so much hurt and pain in this world, and my husband and I see it on a, on a daily basis almost, just what hope is, you know, that people don't have an expectant hope anymore, and they're hopeless and depressed, really. Um, but if I'm going to, this point number two coming up is it's going to talk about how you can get out of that depression, that hopelessness. Um, because depression is not, it's not consistent with reality. And I, I don't want to step on any toes, because you may be thinking, that is my reality. Okay, but, and I understand when you're in the middle of it, it does feel like that. But the root core uh, the root cause and the core issue of depression is our thinking. Proverbs 23, 7 says, What a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What we think, we become. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you about um, point number two is hope envelops because hope expects is what we can have, but number two is so important, hope envelops, because that's, what, that's the here and the now, okay? Your hope expects, that might be long ago. You might be like, I don't even, I, I can't even think about when I was expecting my life a certain way. But right now, this is the here and the now. Hope envelops. And because when we have hope, it can envelop us, and life is good, and we're going. And, but on the same, on a different side of that same coin, hopelessness can envelop us. Life can stink out the wazoo. I mean, it can be bad. And, you know, we, we have to figure out that our thinking and our thought process is what can keep us in that place. And um, it, this is not in your notes, but this is, this is tweetable, Ariane. Tweet that. Um, I will never change my life until I change the way I think. And I'll never change my thinking until I renew my mind. It's all right here. What, and so I'm not saying that, you know, depression, oh, it's just all in your head. No. There can be some seriously bad circumstances and you have lost hope and everything. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you in a couple of, minute, couple of minutes you know, some examples in the Bible where they, they were seriously having a bad day. 
Um, but they pulled out, and I'm going to show you how. Are you excited to know how? Okay. Um, so Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that is how we're going to do it. All of us have bad thoughts that come into our head, but it's what we do with those thoughts that determine how long we stay there in that yucky spot. Okay, so everybody's listening up, right? Write in your notes, listen up. Um, your bad thinking comes from three different sources. So I'm going to tell you your sources. And you can figure out, oh, yep, that one's my source. Oh, that one's, and some, most of us are like all three sources. That's, you know. Okay, so stinking thinking comes from three sources. The first one, the devil will lie to you. He's always lying to you. He's the father of lies. He can't not, not lie. Um, and you may not like to talk about the enemy, and that's fine, but I am a firm believer that if you don't know who your enemy is, you're not going to be as well equipped to fight him. Okay, so I can guarantee you, how many military people do we have in here? Okay, let's give them a hand first. Thank you for your service. I can guarantee you that the U.S. military did not go into Osama bin Laden's camp without knowing every detail about that camp. Square footage, where the men were, where the women and children were, how many men there were, how many of them were armed, what Osama bin, look like, bin Laden looked like, what, how tall he was, what his weight was. I mean, like, they knew everything. Why would it be any different from the enemy that is trying to attack us on a daily basis? It shouldn't be. You know, it's also like, um, anybody CSI or Criminal Minds? Anybody watch? Okay, so they profile people. When they're searching for these mass murderers and hardcore criminals, they're profiling. You'll hear him say stuff like, well, he usually does this. He looks for this opportunity. He usually goes here next, you know, because that's how they catch him. They're a step ahead of him. We need to be a step ahead of our enemy that's trying to attack us. And we need to be able to detect his work, to detect his work. We need to be able to see, okay, that sounds a little bit like he's lying to me right there. He's probably going to go here next. You need to be aware of what your, what your trigger points are where you're going to go down, and then stop it. And I'm going to show you how to stop that in just a minute. Okay, so the enemy uses all these different kinds of tools in his toolbox for one specific purpose, and that is to stop you. Stop you in your journey. He doesn't want you to walk any further in your journey because he knows that he, he, knows that he loses in the end. Oh, that was really Southern, sorry. In the end. Okay. <laughs> it comes out every now and then. Still there. Um, but he, he knows he loses, but he can't, he can't stop us from getting to heaven, but he can stop us from having a successful life here on earth. And that's what he wants to do. So he will pull out different tools, just like a handyman, a, a plumber or a drywall specialist or a tiler or whatever. They pull out different tools for different things. Okay, I'm not going to attempt to say what kind of tools they are because I don't know. I know a hammer and a screwdriver. Um, and so... They pull out different things for different purposes, and so does the devil when he's trying to attack you. Your enemy pulls out different things. He might pull out fear. He might, might pull out um, anxiety, hopelessness, you know, uh, financial troubles, pornography, feelings of inferiority, jealousy. I mean, he, who knows? You know your triggers. I don't need to say them all. So you know what, where, he, where he attacks because he's trying to stop you. When somebody tries to stop me, that just makes me mad. Like, we need to get mad at the enemy, not at other people. We have the enemy that's trying to attack us. Okay, so um, when, when, we are, we are, when we're in the middle of those, when we can feel those things, you know, we need, this is what I do. 
again, I know I'm a little bit funny, but um, when the devil, when I know that the devil's attacking me, there have been times where I've been riding in the car so mad, screaming, people probably thought I was having road rage within the car, but um, I'm, I will tell him, I will say out loud, and I'll say, listen, I am still standing. You will not win. You will not snatch my hope for my marriage. You will not snatch my hope for my kids. You will not tell me what my family is going to be like. You, you know, I'm giving him the what for. Okay, because I'm mad. He's trying to stop me and my family and my kids and this church. And let me tell you, it ain't happening. Not on my watch. So I'm not going to panic when he attacks. I'm not going to be like, oh, my gosh. No, I'm going to prepare. Okay, so our stinking thinking comes from the devil's lies. So it's not truth. It's, he lies to us. Second thing is the world will pollute you. We have to decide, are we going to let the world determine our thinking and therefore our hope? So Ephesians 4, 17 and 18 in your notes. So I tell you this and insist on the Lord. You have, you st- have to stop living like the Gentiles do or as the world does in the futility of their, fu- in the futility of their thinking. I was thinking resistance is futile. Um, any truckies. They are dark. It says they are darkened in their understanding and separated from a life from God. So outside influences of the world can pollute our thinking. And let me just tell you, having teenagers in this day and age, good grief. It is awful what the world will throw at my kids. And again, I know y'all are probably thinking, she's kind of an angry person. I get mad. I get mad at what the devil is trying to do to my kids, what he's throwing their way. It's just mama bear. I'm really, I'm really a nice person. Okay. Please, please come back. My, hus- my husband's the real speaker if you're a guest here, okay? <laughs> okay. So I just, I know who to get mad at. I get mad at the, the enemy. I don't get mad at people. You can, you, you know, there's whatever. I'm going to stop defending myself. Okay. All right. So anyway, but a big part of having a sound mind is what goes into it. I mean, so if you're reading smut books and magazines and watching movies and, you know, TV, um, music, Lord have mercy, the music this day and age, ugh, it makes me want to throw up. Because it's filling people's minds. It's the world that's polluting their thinking. And there's a darkness that covers your life when you let the world infiltrate your thinking. So you have to ask yourself, okay, am I going to buy into this, what the world's telling me? Am I going to let that be my thinking? Am I going to let that affect my mind? Because again, we can't change our life until we change and renew our mind. So a big part of having a sound mind is what goes into it. Filling it with what the world tells us, it brings confusion and turmoil, but filling it with what, with what the Lord says and what his word says gives us clarity of thought and peace of mind. So we can't let the world pollute our thinking. So we're not going to let the devil lie to us. We're not going to let the world pollute our thinking. And the last one's very interesting. It's um, your problems will confuse you. So, and that's, that's just the truth. This is... This is kind of the, the funny part that I'm going to show you. But when you're going through something difficult, you know, you don't, you don't think so clearly, right? You, you get, your thinking gets a little distorted. And one of the biggest mistakes that we make is we assign it to God. We say, God, why is this happening? Why did you do this? Why are you letting it happen? Why, why, why? You know, so if you've ever done that, don't raise your hand, but if you've ever done that, you are in good company because all the greats of the Bible did that very same thing. David. Jeremiah, Job, Moses, I mean, like, there's so many of them. They would, they would blame God for something. They'd finger point, you know, Moses, why did you give me these people? These are the people, Adam, well, the wife you gave me, you know, I mean, hello. So, 
you're in the greats if you've ever said that. But it's confusing. That's why we, our problems confuse us, and that's why we think that way. Psalm 10, verses 1 and 17. This is David venting. You can see so many psalms like this. It starts out with, you know, well, look at the verse there. Why, O oh Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? And then verse 17. You hear, O oh Lord, the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them, and you listen to their prayers. Okay, are you standing far off, or are you listening to them? Verse 1, verse 17, the last verse is always very different because somewhere along the way, they figure things out because they're at least talking to God. If you're talking to God, that's a good thing. That's a good sign. That's why you don't have to worry if you've ever said, why God? Because if you're talking to him, then he'll help you figure it out. Okay, but so what do we do? Have you ever noticed, like, um, this is just a little aside, have you ever noticed that when someone else is telling you their problems and they're telling you, you know, all these things, can't you see it clearly? Like, usually we're like, well, this is your problem. You need to work on this and stop that or whatever. And here's, here's the bottom line. This is the core issue. Okay. But not so much when it's ourselves because our problems are what confuse us. So if you're going through some problems and you keep going through that same thing, ask a good friend that loves you and say, can you see my problems clearly? Because I'm, I'm clearly a little confused. And ask them to help you and, be li- and listen to them and be nice. Okay. All right. So... What do we do about it when we get confused? By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there is a whole book in the Bible called, about depression, and it's called Lamentations. Thank goodness it's only five chapters, okay? So, but I'm going to tell you, this is the funny part. So, I mean, it's kind of sad funny. But Lamentations 3, this is not in your notes, so write this down, so that you can check it out for yourself later. I am not lying to you. I am not even remotely embellishing anything. Lamentations 3, verses 1 through 23. This is Jeremiah talking, and he, he was known as the weeping prophet, and you're about to see why. It was very fitting. Okay, so these are verses that he's saying, telling God, okay? I, I, I like to stand back a little bit because I feel, I feel a little sacrilegious even saying some of these things that he was saying. Okay, I have seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has broken my bones. He's talking to God, okay? He surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made my paths crooked, like a bear, oh, listen to this one, like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding. He has dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. I'm not sure what God he is talking to. He pierced my heart with arrows with, from his core. He's broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I mean, this dude is having a bad day, okay? So I say, it's really, it's in there. I want you to look it up later so you can see. Because when I read this, I was like, okay, I don't feel so bad about myself now. But what I was saying, my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, my, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. That's the weeping prophet. Okay. But those last two verses, that's 19 and 20. He says, I remember my affliction and my, my, my wandering. I remember them well. That's what we do as we replay the past. I remember those things. I replay them. The thinking in my mind is the stinking thinking because I'm just going to camp there and I'm going to replay that. And all of us have moments of despair, but here's the difference. Those who stay in it and those who don't, it's one difference, and it's verse 21. If we can get to verse 21 from where Jeremiah was, it's the whole difference. It can pull you out of everything. And verse 21 says, yet, everybody say yet. Yet I call this Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. He's saying, this is not the thought that's going to dominate my life. I'm not going to call you a bear-mangling, teeth-breaking, gravel-grinding 
bone-breaking God, I am going to call a new thing to mind. We can't wallow in our stinking thinking. And, and it's during those small little glimmers of hope, or like the thrill of hope, like Morgan sang in that song, that's when you call a new thing to mind. Because that is where the difference is between those who stay in it and those who wallow in it. Um, verse 22, now this, this part, verse 22 and 23, are famous verses that we all, you know, we've heard it if you've been in the church for a long time. Verse 22 says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. And then he's thinking, And since I have to deal with this every morning, your mercies are new every morning, and great is your faithfulness. That is coming out of the same mouth that was just calling God all those names and telling what he did. Okay, can you see how he's a little confused with some of the problems? But he was talking to God, and he got to the point because he said, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. You change your thinking in the middle of it. And it's a must because thinking will envelop us. Our hope, our thinking determines our hope, and our hope envelops us. And it can either destroy your life or it can turn your life around. Do you have the ability to call a new thought to mind? We do, because of what was born that holy night long ago. Jesus Christ can help us call a new thought to mind. So when we renew our minds and transform our thinking by the word of God, it will determine what will envelop us, whether it's going to be hope or hopelessness. And once we get to the point where hope envelops us, then we can walk into point number three, that hope endures. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will make a way of escape out for you so you can endure it. He gives us a hope. He gave us a hope that night, a hope that endures. He hasn't abandoned you during tough times. He's actually hoping to get your attention. That's what he wants. That's the main thing that he wants. He doesn't have our attention so much during prosperity. You know, we're like, oh, things are going good. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. But when we're going through it, man, we're like, oh, Jesus, help me, please. Like, well, okay, that's how I am. On an hourly basis, like, I'm with him. It reminds me of, um, you know, when, when tough times, when times are tough, people run to God. And it reminds me of a little story of the atheist. And um, he was out on a, he was out in the wilderness of Alaska. And he was going on a trek through the wilderness. And he came like face-to-face with this nine-foot grizzly bear. And he saw him, and he turned around, and he took off running. So did the bear. He ran after him too. So with one powerful swoop of his paw, he knocks the atheist's legs out under him. He falls down, he rolls, and the bear comes right over him, and he's just growling right over him, you know, saliva, whoa, saliva dripping from his teeth, and everything freezes. The waterfall stops, the bear freezes, the wind in the trees stops rustling. The birds stop chirping. And, you know, the, the guy's like, God, help me. And this voice comes out of the heavens and says, oh, now you're going to call on me? Remember, he's an atheist, doesn't believe in God. And he says, okay, yep, you're right. That's really not fair. I, didn't, I never really wanted to be a Christian. I, I just, I guess it's not fair. So could it, you at least make this bear a Christian? <laughs> so God says, I can do that. Immediately everything, the waterfall starts going, the wind rustling through the trees, the birds chirping. The bear immediately drops to his knees, folds his hands and says, Dear Lord, thank you for this food I'm about to receive. (laughs) That's called a fire fire escape prayer. 
okay? How many of us get to those points where we're like, everything's going wrong, I'm about to the end, and we go, okay, Lord, help me. Well, I don't want to get to fire escape prayers. That's not, that's not, you know, what we need to be, how we need to be acting. We need to be thinking and praying first, you know, which we're going to get to in a minute. But um, there's several practical steps that we need to take so that we don't have to rely on fire escape prayers and so that our hope can endure. And here's, here's these last few points. When the going gets tough, right, but that's not in the Bible, so I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. Okay, so Matthew 6, verses 27 through 34 says, and it tells us not to worry. The first one is don't worry. Don't worry. Be happy now. Come on, sing with me. Okay, just kidding. I had to put a song in because my husband always does. So um, that's right. I got us. All right, so um, the Bible tells us not to worry about our food, our clothing, our lives, because it's not going to add one single day or one single hour to our lives. It's, it is when we worry, we are letting tomorrow steal today's joy. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Just last night when I was doing this, it, there was an opportunity where I could start worrying about tomorrow. And I was like, I'm, right when I was on this point, I got a phone call, and I was like, okay, you always test me right when I'm going to speak. Lord, that's not even fair, you know. And, but I chose because I called a new thing to mind. I was like, I am not going to worry about that. I don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. And you know what? An hour later, got a text, everything was fine. What if I had worried? I would have, that would have been, we've spent so much emotional energy on worrying about something that we can't even handle or do anything about. So we're not going to worry. Second point is pray first. I know that sounds like that should be point number one, but it's too late now, so don't worry. Just be happy. All right. So Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, I'm testing you all. Um, It says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Okay. A lot of people pray as a last resort. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, all we can do now is pray? That should never come out of our, our mouths, you know? We teach our kids, pray about everything. I mean, we kids, we, we kids, I am a kid. We teach our kids to pray in the mornings when they're leaving for school to put angels around about them. I pray every morning for that. We pray about if they have a situation with friends at school, we pray about it. A teacher at school, we pray about it. When we're going on vacation, we pray over our house. We pray over our luggage. We pray that we won't have any, um, you know, delays or anything. We fly all the time, and we don't, I, I don't even remember. I was trying to think last night so I could tell you honestly. I don't ever remember losing a luggage, and we fly a lot. Like, that happens often, just not to us, because I'm not relying on fire escape prayers. I am going to bathe everything. I want to be able to say, okay, let's pray first, and then I'm going to take all these practical steps because I want the prayers going behind all these practical steps. So pray first. All right, last one. I'm, i got to hurry on this. So last one is remind yourself what God's Word says. God's Word is true even if you don't feel like it's true. It is true. So Psalm 119.43, Never take your word of truth from my mouth, for I have put my hope in your laws. Our hope is based on the Bible, and the Bible is true no matter what we feel like. If it's God's law that his word is true, then we need to know what his word says. You have to memorize scripture. You have to find those things. If, if you're dealing with 
something, you need to figure out what the opposite is and find the verses on that and start memorizing those, okay? And I know some of you might be going, you know what, she says that every time she gets up here. And you know what, I'm going to continue to say it. Because we've got to memorize Scripture. Proverbs 18, 21, here's another thing that I say every time I get up here. And I'm going to say it again. There's power of life and death in the, in the tongue. Because you know what, I still hear people saying things that are cursing themselves. I'm always sick. I have no immune system. I never win. I never will find the right job. I'll never find the right man. I'll never find the right woman. You know what? You're right. If you keep saying that, you're right. So then stop it. Like, seriously, stop. And he, I, again, I'm not really angry. I'm just mad at the devil because he tries to get us to think these things. I, you know what? When, we're, when I'm, if there's like a, a raffle or a contest or something and somebody never never fails. Somebody will go, well, I don't even know why I'm putting this in here. I never win. And I always go, man, I win all the time. (laughs) And you know what? That person's walking away with nothing. And I'm walking away because I win all the time. And you know what? If I don't win all the time, I always say, "Hmm, I guess I can't win every single time. Somebody else has to win something. But speak life over yourself. Speak life. We need to be saying things like, I'm the head and not the tail. I'm the righteousness of Christ. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I'm an heir to the throne. I'm a princess. I am a prince. Jesus Christ is my big brother. I have the creator of the universe at my fingertips, that he's got my back in every single thing. Those are the things that you need to be saying. Change your, you know, changing your thinking, changing your mouth, that's when you become an overcomer. When our hope is in Jesus Christ, we can overcome anything that comes our way. And um, like my husband said in the video, I know that Christmas is, is not necessarily a happy time for everyone. It might bring out some of the tough times that you've experienced. Or, um, you know, there, there might just be some things that make you feel hopeless. But I'm here to tell you, I, you know, my husband said this, uh, I think, at a couple of SNLs ago at Sunny Light Live, and he said, I have the cure. I just want to tell, like they're singing from the rooftops this morning, that song. I love that song because I want to shout it from the rooftops. If you're hopeless, I have the cure. It's Jesus Christ. And you know what? You may, you may be here right now, and, and you've never given your life to Christ, and I'm going to give you an opportunity. It's going to be short and sweet, and I'm going to give you the opportunity, but I guarantee you there are Christians in here that are not living the power-filled life that God has intended them to live because they're not walking in that hope of Jesus Christ. They're not calling a new thing to mind. They're wallowing in their self-pity. I can guarantee you that there's people in here like that, and I don't, I have the cure, people. It's Jesus Christ. I'm not better because I have him. I'm better off, and I want to share it with you. I want you to be able to live a, a, a prosperous life. Jesus wants us to live a prosperous life. He wants us to have, be full of hope. I want you to stand to your feet. And I want to close with telling you about some friends of ours who had a baby just this past Thursday night. And they, um, it was a long time coming. They had been praying about it for a long time. And I get emotional just thinking about the pain that they had been through, the pain that a lot of people have been through regarding having children, the pain that some of you might be walking through right now. Um, but Derek and I went to the hospital, and this is after she had been through 48 hours of labor. 
that's painful enough. That's enough to get you depressed in the moment. But then when the doctor says, hey, you ready to push? Man, she jumped up. She was like, yes, I'm ready. Let's go, you know. But before she was like, I can't do it, you know. Because her hope was about to come out. And you know what? The maternity ward is we're standing there and I'm holding little Willow in my arms. And we were just reminiscing about how long it had taken for this little bundle of expectation to show up. And, you know, the maternity ward is like such a happy place. There's new life. There's new hope. But the rest of the hospital, not so much. It's full of pain and sorrow and sickness and disease and even death. And you know what? There was a baby born 2,000 years ago, not necessarily in a maternity ward, but he is what can bring us hope for everyone. And the rest of the world is like the rest of the hospital. There's pain and sadness and hurt and grief and hopelessness and depression. But Jesus Christ is the answer for that. And I want you to shut your eyes and, um, and just give the, the people around you the opportunity to, to do this. Like I said, it's just going to be short and sweet. If you're here and you have never given your life to Christ and you feel like you want him to be in charge of your life, I just want you to raise your hand now. Thank you. I see those couple of hands, ma'am and sir. Thank you. Okay. I, I, like I said, I have the cure. And I'm not the only one that it's for. It's for you. It's for every one of you. So I'm going to pray. And, and um, those of you who have already given your life to Christ, if you'll just pray with us, with this new brother and sister in Christ, and we're going to fill them with hope. And I pray that it would fill all of us with hope as well. Just repeat after me. Dear Lord, I thank you that you died for me. And I thank you that you are born for me. I know I need you, and I invite you into all of my circumstances. I ask you to infuse me with hope, because you are the hope that endures. And I give you the reins of my life, and I acknowledge that I'm a sinner, and I need you, and that you are mine right now. In Jesus' name. Now let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you, Jesus, for every single person in here. And Father, I ask that you would be able to fill them with a hope that endures, a hope that expects. Renew hope-filled people and hearts and souls, Lord Jesus, that they would not rest in in the things that that have happened in the past, but they, they would call a new thought to mind. Give them strength, Lord Jesus, to be able to do this walk through this amazing season where we do celebrate the reason the, the, the reason for the season, and that is you, Lord Jesus. Father, I ask that you would just fill every single one with a new hope and laughter and joy and peace today. Cut them off from things that just uh, uh, bind them and hold them down. In Jesus' name, and I ask that, Lord, you would go with them and give them a great day today. In Jesus' name, amen.